0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good to have you here this morning. Glad you chose the second service because there's no room in the first. So we're good to go. Well, it's good to see you guys. Uh, This morning, we can be lifting up Sean. He's not feeling very good at all. So just pray for him and his pain. Uh, They're trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, Tomorrow they should know, and uh, hopefully they're able to figure it out so they can be able to treat him. Um, But keep him in your prayers. He's having a pretty rough day um, and has for this last week. And then uh, we also going to be praying for uh, Scott Hall. Scott is also in the hospital again, um, just for the issues that he always has to deal with. And uh, it's very hard for him, so we'll lift him up. And then also our missionary, Nolan, uh, fell on his face this last week. If you guys have Facebook and maybe you saw it, um, he busted his nose, broke the end of it off. Like, not the nose, but the bone. Yeah, it looks pretty brutal, though. It looks like he got in a fight. And uh, so you guys can pray for him. As he heals up, he sprained his wrist too, tripping over that gas hose, so... Yeah, a lot of things happening, but we'll remember to pray for him in just a little bit when I get into the message, and so that's why I'm up here this morning, is uh, trying to help out and take over, and so both Martin and I wanted to jump in there and and help out Sean, so um, yeah, it was good, good, uh, appreciate Martin being able to do that, I just asked him last night, he did such a good job on Saturday night, I was like, hey, uh, you mind jumping in and do communion, (laughs) because it's one last thing I have to prepare for, so I'm I'm very appreciative of him and uh, tag teaming with me this morning. If you guys have your announcements, go ahead and pull those out. Um, if not, that's all right. There's only two of them, so hopefully you can remember them. The first one is U-Turn. Uh, love for you guys. And maybe you guys have never been before, but uh, this Thursday at 6 o'clock in the evening, we leave from the church. So if you can be here 10 minutes earlier than that, that'd be great. We all carpool out there to Florence, to the ranch where the U-Turn guys are. If you guys don't know what that is, it's the, the place where they can go after they've had addictions in their life and uh, you know, just to fall in love with Christ and, and to be triumphant over those Um, It's a big thing for us to go out there as guys because we get to go and have a a short devotional with them and then uh, pray with them and have them pray for us too. And why it's a big deal is because then those guys get to know us and they see our faces and that way when they come on Sundays or join us for men's breakfast, things like that, they have somebody that's familiar to them and they know you've been praying for them. And so it's also somebody to encourage them to stay in the program, to begin... Or to finish what they've begun and uh, to be there with them so please if you guys haven't joined us come out this next thursday with us Uh, just come this next time and uh yeah love for you guys to come out and have that opportunity the next one is christmas eve service um of course is on the 24th of december if you didn't know when christmas eve was we are having it on sunday this year which is uh that's good but what we're going to do is we are not going to have morning services okay we know family day we want you guys to be able to spend time with the family and uh, we want also our people that are volunteers here to be able to have that morning with their families. Um, so we're not doing a morning one. We're going to do our traditional evening at 530, Christmas Eve service, outside in the amphitheater. We have more heaters this year. We keep buying more each year. So you may even have your personal one, heaven. all right? <laughs> so it'll be warmish out there. And uh, you guys, it's a great time. It's a shorter service. We to have the kids. They're starting to practice their songs this morning, which is fun. And so they'll put on a little Christmas thing, and then, uh, yeah, a great time. So Christmas Eve, 5.30 in the evening is when we, have, when we will have our service, all right? And that's the announcements. So we have something really exciting this morning, too, that goes along with uh, what we've been doing. Uh, you guys know that, uh, uh, well, it's been quite a few weeks now that our youth went to Mexico, right? Went down to Juarez and helped out there on their four-day trip. And so really cool this morning, we're to have Paul Angier, Pastor Paul, come up. And uh, he's going to bring some of his students in just a second. And uh, we've got some video to go over. And so they wanted to talk about what happened there. So give Paul a hand.
1: We love being goofy, and I love to minister to your kids. (laughs) It's great. Well, like Pastor Curtis said, um, we had the opportunity November 9th through 12th to take a group of 25, it was a combined group of leaders and students, um, down to Juarez, Mexico, which is just on the other side of the border from El Paso in West Texas, and we got to do some ministry there for a few days with the Mexican nationals there. Um, so you can watch the slideshow and look at the different pictures that come across it. I'm going to invite two members of the team that went with us to come up, so if you guys will join me in welcoming... Riley Webb and Riley Corrado.
2: All right. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Um, my name is Riley, and I really enjoyed my trip to Juarez. Um, it was cool. It was my first time out of the country. so. Uh, there were a lot of differences that I noticed between the U.S. and Juarez. Um, there was, like, the main thing I noticed was the buildings. I work in construction, so I would be like, why, why is there a wire sticking out of the wall there? You know, what's, what's happening on top of that telephone pole? Uh, there's a pipe coming out of a eroded hillside. That can't be good. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, and then there were also differences in culture, lifestyle, language, of course. Um, so I was just kind of thinking about all those differences, and a couple of things came up. Um, one was the theme of gratitude. Uh, we went to a church on, our day, on the day we arrived in Juarez, and the church was probably a quarter of the size of this sanctuary, and it had um, cinder block walls, and they invited us in. Uh, they served us food, and uh, they played worship for us, and it was just a really cool, cool time. Um, the The drum set was really loud, it was just ricocheting off all the walls. you know it was kind of deafening, but it was a lot of fun. And what stood out was that even though they didn't have much, uh, they really were excited to share it. They were grateful for what they had and they wanted to share it. So that was really cool. Uh, the other thing was that going to Juarez just gave me a better uh, perspective. Um, it was my first time out of the country, so I just understand the life down there better than I used to, and better than I would have if I'd only seen a picture, or um, if I'd only read newspaper articles. Um, It was really cool just to see, to to have that perspective. And something that stood out was that even though there's so many differences, uh, the people down there are going through hardships, and they're putting their trust in God, or a lot of them that we we got to meet. Um, And there's still a lot that haven't been reached yet. But it was just cool to see that they're trusting in God. And I realized, oh, our God is not only the God of the United States. He's the God of the world, and that's exciting. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was a really cool time. Thank you for your prayers and support. And um, continue praying for the people of Juarez.
3: Hi, good morning. I'm Riley, and my trip to Mexico was very impacting. The first night when we got there, we went straight to a church and... Uh, Listened to their worship and pastor Ramon's sermon and I was talking with some friends afterwards and we all agreed that even though we couldn't understand what Ramon was saying even though we had an interpreter it was still different we could feel the spirit very strongly and we knew the message even though we couldn't understand the words directly It was really interesting that first night because the whole way there I was kind of worried about how the trip would go and whether or not I'd even be able to help at all or kind of what would happen. And as soon as we got to that church, we could tell they were just happy we were there. It didn't matter what we were doing. They were glad to see us and they just wanted to spend time with us and were so blessed by the fact that we had even come. The second day we went to a migrant shelter and half of the group, listened to the women there share their stories. And then the other half um, was working with the kids there. I was on, in the group working with the kids. And it was really cool to connect with them over coloring a picture of the Good Samaritan. And I colored a donkey pink. And they were not happy about that. And they were um, just like trying to show me the different colors. And it was really cool to just get to know them that way, even though we couldn't really talk to each other. The last day was probably the most impacting for me when we went to a street market and did evangelism there. My team, we had a great team of Mexican pastors who were leading our different groups, and our, my group encountered several people who were clearly not living a healthy or godly lifestyle, but they were desperate for us to pray for them. Even though they weren't following God, they knew that prayer had importance. We talked about afterwards how we can't look only to the benefits of Christianity and not only looking to God when we need him, but daily pursuing him and attempting to live a lifestyle that has been given, that has been exemplified by Christ. Overall, I was really impacted by how fortunate we are to live in America. We met people who didn't even have a roof over their heads or had watched family members be killed or kidnapped or had been taken by the cartel and it was so hard to see that and I came home even just grateful for a warm shower and my house and the security of living in a quiet neighborhood and I was just reminded of how good God is even in hard times and how much he's blessed us and how we need to always keep other people on our minds and in our prayers even though we have to struggle with our own things there are people out there who need us to pray for them and to do things like this to help them overall i'm super glad i went and it was a very impacting experience thank you
1: thank you guys for sharing uh, i'd like to share as well just a um a, a few disclaimers as well as um, give an encouragement to you guys as a church because. One of the cool things that I got to see as a leader on the trip was to see how capable the body of Christ is when it comes together in unity for the purpose of furthering the kingdom of God. I was really impressed to watch little sixth and seventh grade girls right up here with guys like Riley and Devin in the back there and Cody who were hauling shovelfuls of dirt and moving wheelbarrows and we were leveling out a floor or mixing concrete for hours on end to get it spread out so that Mexican youth could come to a local pastor's house and have youth group not in the mud but on a concrete pad. And it was so cool just to see that when we all come together as God's body and we work together and put aside our own misgivings or our own desires and we say, what can we do for the kingdom of God that God can use that in such powerful ways? And so I saw that... These youth and and leaders that went on the trip were so capable when they were focused on what God was desiring that they do rather than what they wanted to do in their own flesh. And so I think that's something that all of us as a church fellowship can grow from and can learn from and lean into is doing that. Just to clarify, we went and we partnered with a group called Servant Centers. And Servant Centers is a a ministry down there in El Paso and Juarez. And they minister by raising up Mexican nationals to be pastors who can then Um, start their own churches, and continue to teach other Mexicans the Word of God. And the neat thing, I, the reason why I mention that is because we didn't just go down there as an American team, do a bunch of work and leave, but we got to partner with the work that God was already doing through the Mexican pastors and their wives and their families and their congregations. And these guys aren't just teaching God's Word, but they're also getting involved in the community. They're doing things like local outreach at migrant refugee shelters, going to the local police and fire stations, going and talking with um, some of the the different Mexican military individuals there in Juarez. And so these guys are going out and they're living out their faith. Um, And I think that really speaks to something that I saw overall um, from little refugee children all the way up to these, these older Mexican pastors is the fact that they have a heart of generosity. They'll give you anything from the food that they're prepping to sell so they can live and eat as a family to giving up little piece of candy to an American that gave them a piece of candy. It was just so cool to see that. And I think that really um, continued to spread into how passionate these pastors and their congregations were about sharing the message of the gospel. On the last day we were there, we went out and we split our team and split the Mexican pastors into groups. And each American team had a Mexican pastor that was helping to translate and go out and we would evangelize in the plaza there in Juarez. And it was so cool to see how passionate these guys were about going up to anybody and everybody and asking if they could pray for them, asking if they could share the gospel with them. And it was so encouraging to see that generosity wasn't just a tangible, physical thing, but it was also they recognized the message of the gospel and were willing to give it out. And I think that's so cool because when we think about it, um, I know for myself, and I know I've talked to some of my students, and even maybe you guys can share in this uh, mentality that we have to have some type of education or intellect or knowledge or some type of qualification in order to go out and share the gospel. And the fact of the matter is that a lot of these Mexican pastors have um, a middle school or high school education at the very most because education is something that's not afforded to everybody. And so... A lot of them are uneducated men past a 6th grade level or an 8th grade level. And I find that fascinating. I think that directly ties into what we see in Scripture in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, where when Peter and John are being confronted by the religious leaders. It says that they were amazed, they were astonished. These religious leaders were because Peter and John, they recognized them to be common, uneducated men. And yet the thing that gave them the boldness is the fact that they knew Jesus and they had been with Jesus. And that was something that, as later on this trip, I got to see. These Mexican pastors and their congregations, they know Jesus. They're desiring to know him better every day. They're with Jesus, and they want to share what they know about him with the people that they get to minister to right there in their own town. And so I don't think missions is something that you have to go across the world or across the country to do. I think that our God is a God who's a very missional God, we look all throughout Scripture and we see that God's desire is that his people would know him. And he's raising up people all the way back in Genesis through today for people to know him and then to share that knowledge of who he is. And so I think that's a call for us as a church today. As so we're going to pray for the pastors down there in Juarez and the ministry that's, being, uh, that's taking place down there. And uh, I think it's cool to recognize that it was happening long before we got there and it's continuing to happen even today until God... Um, decides to, to come back or until he calls his people home and so let's pray for them and let's continue to be encouraged that we as a church too as individuals who know the message of the gospel can go out because we know jesus and we've been with him and we can share our faith in the same way so bow your heads with me and let's pray for the work that the lord's doing father thank you for who you are lord thank you that you are a god who is merciful gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love Lord, we thank you that you desire to know us and for us to know you. Lord, we thank you that you are doing work all across this globe, Lord, as you desire to draw people to yourself. God, thank you for the opportunity that we had as a team and then as a larger church body, Lord, to to see and to hear about and to bear witness to the work that you are doing in Juarez, Lord. And thank you for the, the faithfulness of the pastors and their teams down there, Lord, and continue to do the work even when it's very hard, Lord, And I just pray that you would continue to root them in your word, God, as they teach their congregations, Lord, as they go out and minister in very compromising situations, Lord. And God, that um, the Mexican people, Lord, would come to know you and that they would recognize that Jesus Christ is their Savior and Lord as well. And Lord, that they would repent of their sins and turn to you and follow after Jesus. God, we thank you for giving us that insight. And may we as a a church, Lord, also... um, Walk in obedience to the things that you are calling us to do, Lord, in the way of going out and sharing our faith boldly, Lord. We love you, Father, and we thank you for loving us, and we ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank
0: you, guys. All right, that's awesome. So, this morning, if you guys want to turn over to John chapter 10, John 10. And in John 10, what we're going to find is we find this awesome story of Jesus talking about being a shepherd, right? About him being the good shepherd and and not just that, but he's contrasting himself with the religious leaders of the time and of the past. And so it ends up coming to this whole interesting showing them and trying to tell them that they're wrong and it completely going over their head. And so we're going to look at that, and look at some of the scriptures that they should have known. And the really big thing is, is just to see who Jesus Christ is as the good shepherd, as the true shepherd, and as the personal shepherd. Before we go into that, I wanted to read this. This is from a person that I just found, and and she's a shepherdess in Vermont, and her name's Kim Gooding, and what she does, and. Of course, she's, she's got sheep that she's shepherding over, and she does a bunch of other animals, invites people out to her farm. But one of the things she was, uh, ended up making was somebody was asking her what it was like to be a shepherd or a shepherdess. And she says, you know what, I, I just put something together as if I was asking for somebody to come in for the job. Right? Here's the requirements of the job. And so here they are. Here's seven requirements to be a shepherd. So here's what she says. Must be tough at heart. Shepherding is not about sweet lambs in pastures with sheep grazing in them. It's about the survival of the fittest. It's about making life and death decisions that will tear your heart apart. The second one, must be willing to do hard work. Shepherding does not just require hard physical labor of moving fences, moving sheep, handling 40-pound bales of hay. It is about heart work. It is having to do hard things and making hard decisions. It is about learning to go with your instincts and let your gut be your guide. Number three, must be willing to be humble daily. Proud people need to not apply. If there is any one thing that can bring you to your knees, it's shepherding. There will be days when you make the wrong decision, when you overlook the obvious, when the not-so-obvious will attack and leave you on your knees. If you ever thought you knew it, all, forget it. There will always be days when you realize there is much yet to learn. Number four is must not be afraid to learn new things. On a regular basis, you will be required to learn a new skill, a new task, a new way of doing things. Uh, an experienced shepherd once told me as she was coaching me over the phone on how to do an internal exam on laboring a U, if you don't want to do it, then you shouldn't be a shepherd. That's what she said. Shepherding will take you out of your comfort zone at times, and you, will be, uh, you have to be willing to step forward. Number five, must be great; must have great endurance. Shepherds must be willing to work in all adverse con- weather conditions, rain, sleet, snow, sub-zero degree temperatures, extreme heat and humidity, and they must be able to keep sheep alive in such adverse conditions. They must be able to work with little sheep, lift the little th- with little strength, and study with weak knees. Most exhibit uh, ability to, or number six, must exhibit ability to observe. One time my husband found me just standing in our paddock which I think is a part of the pasture, I don't know exactly, but peddock area with the sheep. Um, He asked me what I was doing. I responded, getting to know the sheep. It takes great observation and getting to know what normal looks like to identify what is not normal. And the last one, must have patience of a saint. Sheep will test you and you must be able to outlast them and outsmart them. Once you think you have them figured out, they're at it again. Now, this is from a secular point of view. This is not somebody trying to relate what a shepherd and what it looks like to be a pastor or somebody that works in the church. This is just straight what a shepherd is. She goes on and she says, shepherding now has allowed, she goes on the positive side, has allowed me the privilege of these things, 10 different things that's, that she's thankful for. Seeing new life come into the world. Doing things I never thought possible. Living a life of constant learning. Holding life in my arms one minute and letting life slip out of my arms the next. Nurturing beings. Surviving lambs during 40 degree, negative 40-degree wind chill. Experiencing the quiet of a barn at 3 in the morning. Keeping my body strong and my heart tender. Knowing that all sheep are not created equal. And discovering that sheep are smarter than most will admit. Interesting little look in that. And as we go through this, just remember some of those facts and what Jesus is talking about. And as he goes and talks about how he is the shepherd compared to those that are not, that are cheating the system, trying to come in other ways. And it's interesting in this gospel of John that Jesus uh, wants to show the difference between the two and and really go through with them. We know that Jesus was not a big fan of the Sanhedrin, right? At least the leaders of the Sanhedrin, um, he commented on many times with these guys as they chased him down and tried to shut him up in his ministry. And so he has this conversation with the Pharisees. We know this because in chapter 9, it talks about it at the very end there, talking about how he's having this conversation with the Pharisees while other Jews were listening in. In this conversation, Jesus explains three different characteristics of him as a shepherd compared to them as shepherds. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to contrast these two and see what does Jesus Christ as our shepherd look like. And so the three things we're going to go through is verses 1 through 6, we're going to look at how he is the real shepherd. He's the real deal. The second one, how he is the good shepherd, which we've heard that a lot. That's a title that's given to the good shepherd. That's 7 through 21. And the last part, which is not chronologically in the order of this. John doesn't really do that in his gospel. He doesn't follow like Luke does through all the order of events. He's more of the ideas. And so because this this idea follows in verses 22 through 30 of the, the shepherding idea, he puts that with this. But the last one is that Jesus is the personal shepherd. So let's go ahead, look at John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. Read those with me, and then we'll pray right after that. So most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To, whom the, to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep... Uh, He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. In verse 6, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Lord, we ask that you just give us understanding as we walk through this with you, as we study your word, Lord, on what it is to be a shepherd, and how you are the good shepherd, and are the good shepherd, and just to watch out for other ones in the world that are not, that have their own ideas and the things that they're seeking out the power the money whatever it is lord and we'd look to you and we're just so thankful for what you're doing in our lives lord and and you continue to bless us as we walk alongside you you lead us to these good pastures lord and right now lord we just want to take some time just to lift up our pastor to you just in the suffering that he's going through right now and the pain he's dealing with lord i pray just in your name that he would be healed Lord, we find, they'd find out tomorrow exactly what the problem is and be able to do what they need to with it. We also want to lift up Scott Hall to you too, Lord, and ask that you help him in his misery and, and he would be able to go home today from the hospital. And, uh, Lord, that you continue to comfort him as he goes through. Uh, just to some of this, it's been a, a regular thing in his life. And so we lift him up to you as well. And we just pray for uh, our missionary, Nolan, and just pray for his face that everything would heal and uh, that he wouldn't have problems with the, the, his nose later on, and um, that his wrist would heal, that he'd be able to get back into the ministry that you've called him to. And again, Lord, we're just here before you. I pray you pour out your spirit on me, that I'd be able to teach your word in exactly the way that you want it, that you're represented in the perfect way, Lord. And so we just pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so what does the true shepherd look like compared to a fake one? Well, here's some of the things that it talks about and what the real shepherd looks like. A real shepherd enters where? By the door, right? They're not going any other way. So the real shepherd goes through the door. Interesting thing, too, there's another character here called the doorkeeper. So what happens to the doorkeeper? Well, the real shepherd, the doorkeeper, opens the door to the real shepherd, right? Big deal. These, we'll go through each one of these, too, is, and break them down as the fake ones or the, the thieves. And then the sheep know his voice. The real shepherd calls his sheep by name. That's exciting to me. That's That's a big deal, and we'll go through that a little bit. And then the sheep follow the real shepherd. They're not going to be fooled. They're not going to go after the one that's the fake shepherd, right? Now, Jesus was making a distinction here between him and the Pharisees, which needed to be made because he's not just another teacher coming along with another philosophy or another theory on how God works. He is the truth, right? And he's coming in there to show them that. And they've done a horrible job in what they've been called to as the religious leaders of Israel, and so he's going to call them out on that too. He was pointing out that they did not come through the very first thing. They didn't come through the door, but they went around another way. They went around the doorkeeper, right? Doorkeeper doesn't know them, so of course they have to go in another way. That's how thieves work. Now, how did they do this? What does it really mean? Okay, we can talk about this in, this, in the picturesque way that he's talking about it here, but what does this actually mean? How did a Pharisee come in by jumping over the wall to go deal with the sheep? One of them is by the law, Right? They were so concentrated, so focused on completing the law that that was a way they were going around the doorkeeper, not going through the place they were supposed to be going through. The other one is, is they completely based everything on their own righteousness and they taught others to do the same. That's going over the wall. That's sidestepping the doorkeeper. You don't do that. You've got to go through Jesus Christ, the salvation, the grace through faith, right? That's going through that door. It's going and letting the doorkeeper open The door. The other one, too, is that they're claiming their own bloodline. Hey, I'm a Jew of all Jews, right? I was born in this. How could you say that I'm not into the Jehovah God, that he is my God and that I'm saved? And that was another way. And they wanted to try to lead other people in that same thought process based on your bloodline, who you're from. That was ways that they were trying to sneak around. And so Jesus is trying to make this example to them. You guys don't do that. That is not the right way. The other thing is they didn't know the sheep. That's a sad thing. They didn't know the sheep. He knew them by name. But these thieves, of course, why wouldn't a thief know the name of the sheep? Well, they could care less because what is the sheep to them? Gain. Power, money, cruelty, whatever. That's what it is to them. They're about self. They're about self. They want self to be glorified. And see, Jesus Christ wanted the Father to be glorified, and so that's how he works as a shepherd. It's not about him. He is the good shepherd. They didn't know the sheep. He knew him by name. Now, this is a very big and an important thing, too, that he knows us by name. We are his sheep. He knows us by name. He is a personal God, and don't be fooled into thinking that he isn't. There's a lot of younger people nowadays that are battling that. They, maybe they've been raised, and some of you guys even here raised in a Christian home, and it's hard to see well, is this my parents? the things work out because that's just the way it is? And yeah, there is a God but he was only personable with those that he was going to use. So, yeah, he used my parents, so of course he's personal with them. Yeah, he uses the pastor because, of course, the pastor's doing things. Yeah, you look in the Old Testament, of course, he used Jeremiah. Of course, he used Ezekiel. Of course, he used all these guys, Moses, Abraham. and So, of, of course, they're going to write that he's a personal God because he was to them. But what about me? I'm, I'm nobody great in the kingdom of God. I'm not somebody that's, you know, just ripping back the world and, letting everybody know Jesus is the way to go. I'm not doing huge, un, you know, unbelievable, important, great things. So why would Jesus be personal with me? I'm just another sheep. But That's the interesting thing. He says that he knows us by name. So don't let the enemy rob you of that. He is a very personal God, very personal with us. Let me show you some other scriptures to convince you in this. Jeremiah 1, 5, and I know, like what I just said, okay, this could just be him talking to Jeremiah But this is every one of us when we look at this verse too. (coughs) It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I I sanctified you. I set you apart. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, we're not all ordained to be prophets to nations, so I'd say, yeah. But the very first part where it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God knows us. Even before, there's an existence of us. Further convince you, if you guys will turn over to Psalms 139, and this is a powerful part of Scripture, guys. If you ever are going through this and being like, Lord, I just don't think you're very personal. There's a lot of things going on in my life that I've cried out to you and you haven't answered them. Where are you at? You guys know that sometimes no means love. I don't know if you guys knew this. You guys can look at it with your parents, and even with our parents, we asked them for a lot of things, and they said no to some things. Did you just decide to just write them off and not have a relationship with them? Or maybe they were protecting you. Maybe there's some wisdom that you didn't have yet that they were like, no, you don't need a car. You're only four. (laughs) Right? Sometimes it is that ridiculous. And yet we look at it like, fine, you're not going to give me what I want. I'm not going to have a relationship with you. You're not going to do what I want right now in this pain and suffering. Then you must not exist or you just don't care. Don't let the enemy come in and say those things and you believe in them. The word of God is very different. Here's one of those parts of scripture I encourage you to when you're going through that time, when you're being hit by those thoughts, go here. Psalms 139. Now we're going to skip around a little bit here because we don't have time to read through the whole thing. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 and then 13 through 16. So read with me in Psalms 139, verse 1. It says, "O, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. And I hope if you guys have been in this situation where you're wondering where the Lord is, let the Lord speak to you in this. This is Him like saying, Guys, you are important to me. I know your thoughts from afar off. Verse 3, you comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. He knows everything. He knows it all. When you go to sleep, when you get up, all of your ways. Verse 4, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You know everything that comes out of my mouth that's going to come out of my mouth. That's how personal he is. That's more personal than anybody else you're going to find in this world. Going on, it says, and he gives you protection in verse 5, even though maybe sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but here is what he's saying. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Now, this is coming from David. David at times went through struggles, you guys. you got to remember that. And yet he's saying that you hedged me from all around. I'm sure many times with David it didn't feel like that, right? But this is truth. We don't rely on feelings. We rely on what the truth is. This is who God is. Even though we might not be feeling it at the time, this is where it is. We have to go back to the truth. And then verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. You know when you really come down on yourself when you hate yourself and you despise yourself? That that's not a thing that he calls us to. He just says right here, he's like, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you believe that? Or have you let the enemy come in and convince you that you're not? Maybe you don't like your body or the thoughts or whatever, and you just can't stand yourself. Those, that's not right, because what you're saying then is you're saying that I'm not mar- your works are not marvelous. You don't have marvelous works, Lord. That's not true. That's not true. It says right here, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My soul knows it. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, and yet unformed. And in your book, I like what this part says, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. He's already set up all the days for you. Now, to look and say, well, he's not a very personal God, or he's only for those that he's going to use is not truth. And I'd ask you, this is truth. This is the word of God. He's saying, This is what he speaks to us. You're so important to him. If that doesn't convince you, go to the cross. He individually died for each one of us, not just for the prophets of old or the good people today or 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 you know the, these pastors that are doing wonderful things out there. For every single one of us. And even while we are sinners, right? That's a good God. That's a good God. Go back over to John chapter 10. Next thing is only a real shepherd will lead his sheep. Only a real one leads it because the fake ones, what they end up doing is they usually let the sheep go out first, right? And then they follow behind them. They kind of chase them around because it's a little bit easier to chase the sheep where you want them to go. A true shepherd just has to lead, just out there in the front and just has to lead them. It's an awesome thing. That's what ends up happening. And you get to see this this wonderful relationship that he has with the sheep. And so as he leads them, you know that the other one also doesn't want to lead because also they're going to encounter problems first, right? They're going to come up against whatever's in the way. Let's put the sheep out there first, and then I know what's going on. Later on in Ezekiel, we read about the hireling and how he does that, and he ends up running away. And then according to verse 6, Jesus' example, he goes right there, and he goes... And he says it, basically, it goes right over their head what he's talking about, doesn't it? Jesus used the illustration, but they did not understand the things in which he spoke to them. They just accused him and said, hey, you know, in verse 41, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, and he's talking about the Pharisees because they said, hey, are we blind in a sarcastic way? He says, if you were blind, you you would have no sin, but now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. Well, he wanted to explain to them in a certain way, you guys are the ones coming over the wall. You're not true shepherds. You're wrong. But they didn't catch it. They didn't understand it. So he goes on to the next illustration to help them understand. Now, granted, in this, Jesus did not say he was the shepherd, at least yet he hadn't said it, right? So Jesus goes on to make his next point about how he is different from them and that he is the good shepherd. So in verses 7 to when I stop, he is the good shepherd. Verse 7, then Jesus said to them again, "Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So now he's going to change it up. He's going to claim some pretty big claims here. You guys go through John. He does this a lot. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. He goes on and he says, I'm the vine, right? Well, here he says, I am the door. Let's let's make sure you guys understand this. I am the door of the sheep. All who ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Now, what happened before in the verses 1 through 6, it's talking about a sheepfold. A sheepfold was a place where they would bring all their sheep at night. So let's say you go into town, you're going to bring all your sheep there, and then all the sheep stay together. That's why it was so interesting that there's a doorkeeper that keeps everybody's sheep in there. And then when the, pastor, the, the shepherd shows up, he says, all right, sheep, let's go. And there's even times people have said that sheep can even know their names, like some of our pets in our houses. And he knows them by name. That's why it says it. So he calls his sheep out. They know his voice. He doesn't have to go in there with his staff and try to sort all of his own sheep out. And they're all spray painted. Well, not back in that day. They're all marked, you know, and bring them out. They knew him. And that's why it's talking about in that sheepfold, they come out to his voice. Now we're in a little bit different situation because now it's kind of he's out in the wilderness. And they used to build these rock walls that they'd put the sheep in. And a lot of times these rock walls didn't have a door to them because they're out in the wilderness and it's only built out of rock. You can't really swing rock every time you go in and out. So guess who became the door? The shepherd. So the shepherd would lay in the doorway or in that threshold so the sheep couldn't get out, or at least if they jumped over him, he knew. And then the wolves and the thieves couldn't get in through at least the door. They go around other ways, of course, is what he says. But that's why he's saying, I am the door. To be a part of this fold, you have to go through me. And that's what he's about to start explaining even more in depth here. in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, praise God, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come in except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they have, may have it more abundantly. <clears throat> so he's the door. He himself is the door. And if there was a time, or if these guys were to come in and out, he would know what's going on. But as a thief and, and a robber, they're not going to be considered the door, right? They're, again, after their own personal gain. It's all about them, unlike the shepherd. Now, he gets a little personal with them here. If they would actually understand what he's saying, he's calling them thieves and robbers, isn't he? In verse 8. He's being pretty direct with them, but I don't think they totally understood it yet, even though they should have according to Ezekiel, which we'll read Ezekiel here in a second. And in 9, verse 9, he is declaring that he is the only way to salvation. There's no other way. No other way. And if you find another way, you're being robbed of the truth. So he's talking about robbing and thieves, the way that they would talk about how you're supposed to go into the fold or the kingdom of heaven, right? There's no other way to enter it except for through Jesus Christ. No other paths. Not all paths lead to God because all the other paths out there except for Christianity say, yes, I'm going to be righteous and I'm going to stand in my own righteousness. So when I go before God, he's going to see how good of a person I've been. So you're standing before him in your own righteousness, the thing is, you're not going to be lined up with other people. You're not going to be, well, yes, you are better than that person over there. That's not how it works. And you watch a lot of discussion nowadays, and that's usually how people will address it. I'm not as bad as that. I don't do that. Well, guess what? According to Jesus Christ, what does your righteousness look like? Perfection will show every flaw in what we consider as our own righteousness. God himself even said, your righteousness is like dirty rags right, to him, because you're not perfect. And so therefore, any other path you're trying to go through, any other door, you're getting robbed by these people that are telling you that. These thieves and these robbers are coming in and telling you the wrong thing. It is only through Jesus Christ. Because when we go there and stand before the Almighty Judge, the Father, he's going to look at Christ that we've put on. His blood poured out on us to cleanse us, and therefore we stand in Jesus Christ's righteousness, not in our own, because we can't, and unfortunately, these guys, I must call them jerks, these guys were telling people that this is the way to go, and your own righteousness is not, it is not, Jesus is the only way, and so he says in verse 10, I love what he says here, he says, I've come that they may have life, and not just life, right, not just so they can live, not just so they can escape from hell, but that they may have it more abundantly, Now, he just demonstrated this in the previous chapter, which we'll we'll hit a little bit on that when he started this rebuke of the Pharisees. But that word abundantly is like more, it's in depth, it's exciting what's happening. So it's not just a life, guys, that we've been saved from hell, but yet it's a life now that's lived abundantly. So now what happens is I have this change that starts happening. I don't desire the things that I used to. I get to live for Jesus Christ and I find out what it is to die to self and to live for him. And how he starts changing me and then my reaction towards certain things all of a sudden isn't as harsh as it used to be. Or my thoughts are much more pure than what they used to be. And as I walk closer and closer and closer with the good shepherd and he directs me to those good pastures, my life is abundant. What an awesome thing. It's not just something in the future, it's something to live now. As we go through the door, right? As we go through the door. Now verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's a great shepherd. Most people will not give their lives for an animal, right? But the sheep are so important. And we know the example here, of course, is us. He's going to give his life. He did give his life for us. But he's telling them, this is future tense for them, gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep. And scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. And not only that, I am known by my sheep, by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep. And I like verse 16, I hope you do too, as Gentiles, anybody that's not a Jew in here. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. He's been talking about Israel this whole time with their fold, right? Not of their fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Praise God for that. I hope you guys have heard his voice. And I challenge you guys, the scriptures that he gives right here, he wants to see salvation come to you. He wants to be that door that you enter through. He wants to be your good shepherd. How many times have you heard his voice and you've chosen to go with the hireling's voice? Somebody that doesn't really care about you. Somebody that's just looking for an advantage from you. And maybe it's in your own self. You're trying to look advantage of your own decision-making in your own life. Dude, guys, choose Jesus. Listen to his voice as he's been calling out to you. This could be the day where you're like, yes, Lord, I want you to be my good shepherd. I want you to be Lord of my life and my Savior. I can't do it without you. I can't stand in my own righteousness. It's all got to be in your hands. And you accept him as your good shepherd, as your Savior and your Lord. It's an awesome thing. Now, he gets very pointed when he says that good shepherd, and I say this because they should have known the Old Testament. So if you guys would turn to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34. Remember, he's talking to Pharisees here that should know the word of God very, very well. So Ezekiel 34 is a whole chapter that talks about what it is to be a shepherd, irresponsible shepherds and the good, or God is the true shepherd. That's the two titles I have at least in mind. So Ezekiel 34, one says this, and this is why I say he gets very pointed about him being the good shepherd, and hopefully they're starting to understand who's, who he's talking about being the hireling. Because here's what a hireling looks like in verse 34. Or in verse 1 of chapter 34, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them. Now the shepherds were the priests, the kings, those that were leading the people. He says, say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings. But you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains, and on every high hill, yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. And no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep And the shepherds shall feed themselves no more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. And then he goes on and talks about how he is the shepherd, and he is the good shepherd. We'll get into that in a second. So with the Pharisees knowing this, of course they know this, that is exactly a hireling, isn't it? said that if a wolf comes along, he just runs away, and then the sheep are what? Scattered. And he says that over and over again in Ezekiel 34. Now, it's just like the Pharisees were here in these verses in 12 through 16 of John 10, you know, but a hireling, he is not a shepherd, one who does not own a sheep, sees a wolf coming, like I said, goes out, lets them run away. And then in verse 14, he says, but I am the good shepherd. I don't do that. I know my sheep and I'm known by them. That's not how I work. And then Jesus puts a cherry on the top here in verses 17 and 18. And here's what he says to them. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but i lay it down of myself i have power to lay it down and i have power to take it up this command i have received from my father now he's saying i lay down my life for the sheep but he's also saying i can pick it right back up now this this was a hard saying for them wasn't it this stirred them up they didn't like what was happening here and what he was saying it was a bold statement now, when he's going through this and he's talking with the Pharisees and he's making comparison, you guys have to understand that chapter 9, and this is a great thing to do in the scriptures, anytime Jesus is saying this is who he is, go back and look at why is he defining who he is? What happened before this story? So if you turn back to chapter 9, look over there, and here's what's going on. In chapter 9, you have this blind guy that's there. He's blind from birth. And this is the story where Jesus says, come to me, or the guy came to him, and he spits on the ground and makes some mud and wipes it on the guy's eyes, right? Weird deal. Okay, goes and he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam and wash. And he went over there and he could see again. Now let's pick it up in verse 13 and see what happens. And when we go through these scriptures, I want you guys to see the hirelings and the good shepherd. Because you're going to see the two here. And that's why he's addressing it. So they brought him, talking about the blind guy, the former, former blind guy. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now, it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. So they were ticked about that because he made mud. He worked, right? They they couldn't even see that there's a human being that just had their life changed. They're worried about law. Verse 15, Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Completely over their heads. I... It's, are you serious <laughs> he can't be of god he just healed a blind guy others said how can a man who is a sinner do such si- such signs and there was a division among them right just like there's a division among them after he just said that he can raise his life up so there's a division among them verse 17 they said to the blind man again what do you have to say about him because he opened your eyes and he said he is a prophet i'm going to speak the truth to you he is a prophet <laughs> He's not like, I don't know. And that was a bold statement. You're going to find out here in a second why. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. So, yeah, they had to make up another explanation, right? Well, this guy probably just had mud in his eye one day and thought he was blind, and he just went and washed it out. That's what happened. So he received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. In verse 19, And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that he, this is our son, we know that he was born blind. So they know two facts, right? But they're going to kind of be chickens and they're going to weasel their way out of the next one. But what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. So they're getting out of it. And this is the reason why, because of verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. You already see how the, the climbing over the wall? The climb over the wall is saying you've got to obey the Sabbath. Who cares about a, you know, a guy having his life changed? That You've got to do these other rules. They're thieves and robbers, aren't they? So it gets really funny here. I love, this blind guy is awesome. Let me just say that, and things that he tells these guys. Verse 23, Therefore his parents said he is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know is that though I was blind, I now see. Facts. Right? (laughs) I know what happened. This is what's up. Verse 26, Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? (laughs) And this guy, he answered, them, I told you already, you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? You guys see the sarcasm there? I love it. He's like, You guys, you're not even believing this. What, you guys want to be his disciples? Is that's what's going on here? Right? Awesome. And then they said, They reviled him. They couldn't even stand him, right? Because of how he was messing with them. Verse 28, they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. They're going over the wall again, aren't they? We're Moses' disciples. We're not this foolish man that heals everybody and is kind to everybody. No way. We're of Moses. And so he says, we know that God spoke to Moses in verse 29. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. And the man answered and said to <laughs> again them, and he goes on and he preaches it here. You just listen to what he has to say. Why? This is marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Like, who's the blind one here? Is basically what he's saying in a sarcastic way. Who's the blind one here? How could you not know where he's from? He opened my eyes. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners. And the Old Testament preaches that. If you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord doesn't hear you. So the Lord doesn't listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. (laughs) He just told him, right? In verse 34, they answered and said to him, you are completely born in sins, and you are teaching us, and they cast him out of the synagogue, and they cast him out, right? They didn't want to hear the truth. You guys see this, this, this difference between the two? Here it is. This is what a hireling, this is what a thief and a robber looks like. They don't care. They don't care what's happened in this guy's life. They don't care that his life's been changed. They don't even know his name, Right? And then look at, here comes the true shepherd. Look what happens here in verses 35 through 41 of chapter 9. Jesus heard. Jesus heard that he cast him out. This guy's now an outcast. Right? He doesn't fit the religious system anymore. He's an outcast. It's a good place to be. It's a great place to be. And look at, this is that sheep that he's going to go after, that one that's out there. Right? And he's going to bring him back. So he goes and he finds this guy. He's been cast out of the religious system, out of the synagogue. And when he had found him, he said to him, hey, do you know, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and he said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Like just so ready, right? I want to be a part of that fold. Verse 37, and Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who now is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, and you guys see the whole voice thing there? He knows it. He's known by his sheep. He knows his sheep. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Talking about those finding their own righteousness in themselves. Looking past Jesus Christ, looking past the grace that's given to him. And that's why the Pharisees say in verse 40, Hey, some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, and they said to him, Are we blind also? And then Jesus says to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. <laughs> if you're blind, you have no sin. But... Now you say, we see, therefore your sins remain. They're completely focused on the wrong thing. And Jesus was trying to explain to them. So he goes on to sum everything up. He goes and he's trying to get through their thick skulls, right? And they're just stiff-necked. If you guys have heard that saying about them, they just don't want to turn. They don't want to turn to Jesus. And I'd say again, guys, don't be stiff-necked this morning. Let him guide you. Let him guide you to what he has for you. It's an awesome thing to be with the good shepherd, isn't it? This last little point, and we're going to have to cruise through it pretty fast because we're running out of time pretty quick here. Thanks, Paul. (laughs) Jesus is the personal shepherd. And so what it is in verse 22 through 30, let's look at it. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, you do not believe. And right after that, he want, they want to kill him. They took up stones to kill him because they knew exactly what he was saying. I am God. He just went through this whole thing about being God and relating it to being the good shepherd. That's what he's explaining. He is the good shepherd, which in the Old Testament, the good shepherd always was God the Father. Let's just look at some verses real quick. I want to show you these. And you guys can get these for your small groups if you want. I'll give them to you. At the, I'm gonna, I don't have time to go through all of them, but uh, let's look at Psalms seventy nine thirteen. Uh, so we, your people and your sheep of your pasture, will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. Talking about God the Father, right? The next one, Psalm 80, verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubims shine forth. Psalms uh, 9, uh, 95, 7. For he is our God, and we are his people of the pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice. And then another one, Ezekiel 34, 31. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God, says the Lord God. Over and over again in the scriptures, it has so many verses talking about the father being the shepherd. And so here's Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. Not only that, me and the father are the same, and that's why they wanted to kill him. Because of his declaration to them and who he was, and then who they were. They're finally catching on and who they were, those hirelings, right? Now, Let me see what i got to cut out here because we did lose some time here. When he's going to this time, like I said, it's different. It's not chronological here. This is actually during the time of what we call Hanukkah now. Um, So around the same time we're at right now, Hanukkah starts December 7th and goes to the 15th uh, for this month. Um, Neat little holiday. You guys can check it out. You can go over and look at it. It was right before uh, Jesus showed up on the scene, a couple hundred years, 160 years, and some things went down, and then they lit the menorah, and you can go look at all the um interesting facts around that but that's what's going on is this feast of dedication he shows up there and they all crowd around him. we want to know you're the christ he's been saying it over and over again hasn't he by saying he's the good shepherd and they should have known from those scriptures but they're tired of parables and hidden points and they just wanted him to say it plainly it wasn't his time though was it it wasn't his time to be given over and so he didn't. And you guys can read the rest of that chapter that he ends up having to sneak away from them after he talks to them a little bit and confronts them on why are you wanting to kill me when I do good works? The good shepherd. The last point I want to make on this is that it's what a reassurance for us is that he, we cannot be snatched out of his hand, right? We're there. We stay there. Look at Romans 8, 38 and 39 as encouragement. Romans 8, 38. You have that one? We'll get it up there. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing's going to separate us from the Good Shepherd. He's always going to go chase after us. When we walk away, he's going to be right there to come after us. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that so good? You guys know so many other religions, it's kind of like if you do something wrong, good luck. (laughs) Good luck. Hopefully you have enough mercy from whatever deity you believe in or whatever system you believe in. Hopefully you'll make it. We believe in a God that chases after us, that loves us dearly and gave up a huge sacrifice for us, didn't he? And praise God for that. Debbie, if you want to go ahead and come on up with the worship team, we'll go ahead and close out with this. And he says to them, I and my Father are one. He was very clear, and they understood this point enough to where they're going to pick up stones to kill him and who he was declaring to be. And so our encouragement, we find, is that Jesus is absolutely the real shepherd. He's the good shepherd, and he's a personal shepherd for us. Watch out for those that are trying to sneak in. Watch for those ideas, those, fake, those thieves, the, lo- the robbers, and the-, the hirelings. We have to know his voice. How do we know his voice? Right here, guys. You spend time with him. You spend time with the shepherd, you get to know his voice. so good that he knows us by name. One last verse that I want to close with is Psalms 23, and you guys probably know this one. It's a good one that we go to and we look at, and you guys can go on different places and see the comparison again, like what I gave at the very first, of what it looks like to be that good shepherd and what it is, how much hard work is involved in it. So Psalms 23, this is David writing, and of course you guys know he was a shepherd. And so this comes right from his heart, the Psalm of David. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because everything's taken care of, right? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He cares so much about where I'm at. He leads me beside the still waters. It's refreshing, right? He gives us what we need. I love this part. He restores my soul. How many times do you need your soul to be restored, right? We go back to the shepherd. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. And I love this for what reason? For his name's sake. That's why. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff that come from me. Even though it may not feel like he's with you, he is. Again, the feelings don't matter. It's the truth. He is with you. Don't let the enemy rob you of that. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever amen lord we're so thankful that these are verses that apply to our lives that this is what you called to for us to join that we get to be a part of your fold that verse 16 of john 10 lord it's exciting for us um knowing it wasn't just for israel but we also get to be in there and you make one fold out of it lord so praise your name for that Lord. i just pray as we go out throughout this world and we minister to people and we're bold that you would just uh show us exactly what we need to have and what needs to be said Um, as we bring that good news to people and that your spirit prepares them by convicting of their sin, that they're ready to accept you as their Lord and their Savior, that you might be their good shepherd or that they hear your voice. And if there's anybody here this morning too, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to speak so clearly to them that today is the day that you're calling them, that they're hearing your voice, that they wouldn't walk away from that, Lord, and go get robbed or go deal with the hirelings, Lord, that don't really care about them. That's things of this world. And so, Lord... Again, we want to lift up our pastor to you. We pray you'd heal him, Lord. And he'd be able to come back to us next week and teach us in Acts. And just pray for everybody here in this building. that they have a wonderful week, Lord, and make you proud. And that everything, like we read in Psalms, would be for your name's sake, that you might be glorified. And we just pray this in your name. Amen.